Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. I think it's interesting that on the cross, Jesus has seven sayings. And one of those sayings is he says to his mother, he said, behold your son. And then to John, he says, behold your mother. And the Bible says that John took Mary into his house from that very day. And John took care of Mary. Jesus was fulfilling one of the Ten Commandments, which says to honor your father and your mother. You know, that word honor there, it really is a tangible thing. And as they get older, it has to do with caring for them. And uh, I just think that it's so awesome that even on the cross, Jesus is looking out for his mother. Well, as it is Mother's Day, and, and you know, I learned my lesson in 2002, right? On Mother's Day, you have to preach a Mother's Day message, right? Because in 2002, I preached, is Allah the God of the Bible? And I'm still hearing about it. Right? So, so I've learned my lesson. It's a Mother's Day message. All right? So I want to talk to you about a couple of the greatest mothers in the Bible. And I want to begin a couple of the great women in John chapter 4 in the New Testament with a woman at the well. Now, here's what I think is, is really interesting about this story. The Bible does not ever mention her name. I was reading recently a Bible scholar, and they mentioned this. They said the reason that her name isn't mentioned is because she represents every one of us. Her story is everybody's story. She wanted to be valued, loved, and appreciated. And she was looking for it, but she was looking for it in the wrong places. Now, you might not look where she looked or how she looked, but every one of us are looking to be loved, valued and appreciated. Some do it through possessions. Some do it through a career, through success, through money, through looks. But people are looking to be loved, valued, appreciated, to be given purpose. So here's basically this woman's story. She's been, well, Jesus, the Bible says, needs to go through Samaria. Now, this is interesting because Jews would not go to Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans literally hated each other. There was a tremendous prejudice that the Jews had towards the Samaritans, the Samaritans towards the Jews. And what the Jewish people would do, the quickest route was through Samaria, but they would go over, they'd cross the Jordan River and they'd go around Samaria, then cross the Jordan River again to get where they were going. They would go out of their way a great distance just to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus and his disciples, they go through Samaria. They get to the well at Sychar, Jacob's well. And Jesus is tired. He's not only been walking, but he's been preaching. So he says to the disciples, go into town and get some food. And Jesus is sitting at the well alone. And a woman comes from the city to the well. Now, this is midday. Now, those of you who've been in third world countries, in the primitive part of those countries where people still have to go and get their water, this is what you'll find. Women go to the well early and late when it's cool and they go in groups. It's like going to the bathroom. Can't do it alone, right? Women have to take a bunch of other support group with them, you know, talk, whatever it is that they're going to do. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to getting water. You don't find a woman going alone. 
All right? They're always going in groups and they're talking and laughing and, and they're, they're just, they're bonding. They're having a great time together. But this woman shows up alone and she shows up in the middle of the day. And Jesus asks her for a glass of water. And she says, a drink of water. And, and she says, how is it that you, a Jew, even talk to me, a Samaritan? She's, she's, she's all wound up in the prejudice of the day. But Jesus could care less about prejudice. How many of you know Jesus loves everybody? He values everybody. And as Christians, you and I need to be exactly the same. Red, yellow, black, white, polka dotted. We love everybody. Everybody. Right? So Jesus said, give me that water. And she said, why are you even talking to me? And Jesus said, if you knew who I was. He said, you would ask and I would give you living water and you would not thirst again. She thought he was talking about natural thirst, but he was talking about that thirst for love, acceptance, being valued. And she says, well, give me some of this water. And Jesus said, this is where it gets interesting, go get your husband. And she says, I've had five husbands. Well, she, excuse me, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, because you've had five. And the guy you're living with now, you're shacking up with, and he's not even your husband. And she is very perceptive. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> she later tells people, this is what she says. She says, he told me everything I've ever done. Right? And then she says, listen, this is what she says. She says, well, you Jews believe we should worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we believe we should worship here in this mountain. Now, by the way, the Jews were right because God had said, go to the place where I choose to make my name abide. He said, I'm going to make my name abide in this city, Jerusalem. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the day is coming, believe me, when neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain are people going to worship but they're just going to be worshiping the Father in spirit and truth because those are the worshipers God's looking for. Notice what she does. Immediately, she begins an argument, a spiritual argument. How many of you have tried to share something with somebody and the first thing they want to do is argue about something? It just happens all the time. It is just like their natural defense mechanism. Let's find something to fight about. But what Jesus does is he immediately disarms that. and says, that's not the issue. That is not the issue. Now, what Jesus has done is he's come and he's come there in search of this woman and in search of other people that are there in that city of Sychar because literally that whole village is going to come out to Jesus in just a moment. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. God devises means. People that are away from God. God is looking for ways to reach into that person's life and to draw that person to himself. It may be through a friend. It could be through television, a church. You know, when a person has a need, an addiction, a hurt, a pain, grief, anything, God is looking for ways to invade people's life and bring his presence, his truth, his goodness into their lives. Now, I want to real quickly mention five things 
Five little quick lessons right here from this story. Number one, it does not matter where you are. God values you and he is searching for means to reach you. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet he loses his soul? Now, this world, we all, th- this world is going to pass away the way we know it. In Noah's day, there was a flood of water. But the Bible tells us that God's going to destroy the earth again. And next time he does it by fire. It's not a nuclear holocaust. It's God himself. And this is what the Bible says in Peter. It says that the atmosphere is going to explode in fervent heat. And every element on earth will melt away in that heat. And then God recreates this earth afterwards. So this earth, as you and I know it, it's temporary. Right? Your house is temporary. Your car is temporary. All right? Your IRA is temporary. All of it is temporary. But every person is going to live someplace forever. Every person. Because you're a spirit. And that part of you is going to live forever and ever after the stars fall from the sky like ripe autumn leaves. Every person is going to live on forever. So when we look at this world, it's temporary. But every person has an eternal destiny. They are immortal. So obviously, people are more valuable than this world. In God's eyes, one person, I can say it this way, every person has more value than this entire world because this world is temporary. But every person, they're going to live someplace forever. And what Jesus did, he came looking to find, to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, the best verse in the whole Bible, the best known verse is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the next verse says this. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, that's what most people think, that God is up in heaven condemning, right? And unfortunately, the church seems to be known more for what we condemn than for what we're for, right? But God didn't send Jesus to condemn. And he doesn't want you and I to be condemning either. But he sent his son into the world that it might that through him it might be saved. God's not here to condemn people. People already know they're, they're, they've done wrong. right? God is here to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what disciples of Jesus should be here to do. And how many of you know Jesus didn't come to make Christians? He came to make disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. C.T. Studd in the 19th century was the most famous cricket player in the world. Now, cricket is kind of like baseball, played over in, in England, particularly India. But he was the number one cricket player in the world, kind of like Michael Jordan when he was in his heyday. And as just a young man, he decides, because he's, he's also not only a famous cricket player, but his family is one of the wealthiest families in all of England. He gives his fortune away and steps away from cricket, retires, becomes a missionary, first to India, and then years later, he gave the rest of his life in Africa. And this is the statement that he made. He says, some wish 
to live within the sound of a chapel bell. He says, I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd. I've had Christians come to me on multiple occasions. And they say, Pastor, where I work, it is terrible. Bunch of perverts taking drugs, cussing, getting drunk, off-colored stories. Pastor, pray that I get a job with Christians. You know what I say? No. No. God has you exactly where he wants you. All right? Now, right now, if I took a candle and lit the candle, we wouldn't even see the light. But if we turned off all the lights in here and I lit a candle, you would notice that light. All the way in the back, you would notice that light. The darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And where God wants every one of us is not in a place where we're surrounded with Christians. He wants us in a place where our light can shine. Jesus said, don't take that light and put it under a basket. He said, put it up on a lampstand, put it in a dark place where it's going to shine and make a difference. You know, when you're in that spot where you're looking around and you're like, man, everything around here is heathen, anti-God, anti-kingdom, you should go, woo, hallelujah. I didn't even need to move away to be a missionary. Right? You got it right here. Think about it. Jesus was a missionary. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Heaven was light. Heaven was the kingdom of God. He came to earth where it was dark, right? And, and we should be excited. Somebody said, oh, just pray I get a job at church where everybody is a Christian and wonderful. I'm not praying that. Because let me tell you something. Everybody's feet stink. You think it's going to be perfect at church? It ain't going to be perfect at church. All right. But, but what, what God wants is he wants us in a place where our light can shine. All right. Second lesson. It does not matter what you've done. Think about that. The devil tries to tell us, you've gone too far. You've done this. You've done that. You've done the next thing. God's rejected you. God's mad at you. This woman was an outcast in her society, shunned. You know what? But Jesus did not care. Jesus came to save people like this Samaritan woman. In fact, Jesus said this, I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And he says, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. And he was talking about people calling himself the physician. He says, I'm coming for those that are sick. I'm coming for the sinner. I'm coming for the person who knows that they need God. Right? Nothing can keep Jesus from loving you. Nothing. Right? Now, here's the truth. God is love. He is love. And so he loves everybody. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. You see, you say, well, I was a drug addict and now I'm saved. God loved you just as much as when you were a drug addict as he does now that you're saved. Nothing will make him love you more. And you say, yeah, but I did this and I did that. Nothing can make him love you any less. Nothing. Because he is love. And he redeemed you. The Bible says he purchased you. 
not with silver or gold, not with something corruptible that's going to pass away, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He loved you so much, he redeemed you. I have a $100 bill right here. How many of you would like a hundred? Lift that hand. Lift it up. Let me see it. Now, let me just tell you about this hundred. This hundred, it may have been down in a bar at the Moose Lodge in Coldwater, Michigan. Like, sit down, sit down, sit down here. We got to tell you about this hundred dollars first. Right? Besides that, this drug, this, this hundred almost for sure has been in on a cocaine deal. They tell us that a $100 bill, there are very few that, in, that are in circulation that are not tainted by cocaine. May have been used to purchase a prostitute, hire an assassin, may have been a bribe, may have been the G-string of some stripper somewhere. How many of you still want this $100 bill? Well, it's, been, it's done terrible things. It's been around terrible stuff. Why do you still want it? It still has intrinsic value. It doesn't matter where it's been. Is that not true? No matter where this been, it will still get you, buy you the same goods and services because it has intrinsic value. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You have intrinsic value. The Bible says in God's eyes and hopefully in our eyes, you are worth more than the whole world. Now, here's what we think. We think every time I sin, I did this, rip a piece off. I did something else, I rip a piece off. And I do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And you do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And you do something else and another piece gets ripped off. And in our mind, those pieces that get ripped off, they can never be put back on. But let me tell you something. That's a lie. That is a lie. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you have intrinsic value. God loves you. God values you to this degree that if you were the only person on planet Earth, Jesus would have come and shed his blood and died for you to purchase you to have a relationship with him. That's how valuable you are to Jesus. Now get this. Jesus loves you and values you no matter what you believe. Doesn't make you right. But this Samaritan woman, she had messed up theology. She was worshiping in a mountain where God had said, go to the place I choose to make my name abide, which was Jerusalem. But yet, Jesus loved her. He loved her in spite of her wrong theology. God's love is so great that you and I, literally, we cannot comprehend it. It can't be broken. It can't be undone. It cannot be stopped. Now, you and I try to figure it out. We can't figure that out. But, but we were talking a few weeks ago. There is one star in which they can put over two quadrillion earths on the inside of it. Now, that, that is so big, it just blows the, our mind. When God spoke and threw this universe into existence, a God with that power, a God with that understanding, if you think you are going to understand him with your peanut brain, you're wrong. 
You say, well, I can't, I can't believe because I don't understand everything. You will never understand it all. That's why he's God and you're not. Because he's bigger. He understands more. And his love is so deep. He is love. He loves you no matter what you believe. All right? He values you. You may have been rejected, but he still loves you. He still values you. Right? And he will move heaven and earth to reach out to you. I want to talk to you about one more great woman of the Bible. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Her name is Rebecca. Now what has happened is this. Abraham's son is 40 years old. His name is Isaac. And he still doesn't have a wife. I think he's got a problem with commitment. Now it's kind of a common thing nowadays. All right. But Abraham takes his chief servant and he says, look, I the people here in this, this area, they're very wicked. And I want you to go back to my hometown and get a wife for my son and bring her back. So he sends him on the trip. He takes some of the staff, 10 camels, a bunch of gifts. And he goes and he makes the 500-mile journey. And he arrives in Abraham's hometown. And then he prays this simple prayer. He said, God... I'm here at the well, and I'm going to ask someone who comes for a drink. And the woman who gives me to drink and then says, I'm also going to give all your camels water to drink until they finish drinking. Let her be the one that's for my, 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 my master's son, Isaac. Now, he hasn't even finished the prayer. And here comes Rebecca, and he says to her, Rebecca, not knowing her name, he says, would you please give me a glass of water? And she says, yes, gives him this glass of water and then says, and I will water your camels until they have finished drinking. Now, that may not seem significant, but a thirsty camel can drink between 30 and 40 gallons of water each. So we're talking three to four hundred gallons of water. And she begins to water those camels and Eliezer, the servant, he just stands back and watches until she's finished. And when she's done, the Bible says he takes out two gold bracelets and puts those on each of her arms. And then he gives her a gold nose ring. I've been thinking about getting Jeannie one. What do you think? Maybe I'd get one for her this week. No, that's gold, old, gold. Hey. And then he says, hey, is there room at your house for me to stay? You know, th th this is really, really important, all right? What she did, she did what was asked of her, but then she went beyond and she did more than was expected. She didn't go, well, I don't think I'll do that because I might, I might break one of my nails or run my pantyhose, or that's not in my job description. That's not, that's not something, you know, you just take care of your own stinky camels. Have you ever been around a camel? They are stinky, all right? But no, that wasn't her attitude. She was there to serve. She did what was expected. And then she went way beyond what was expected. And what happened was promotion. The next day she leaves and she becomes Isaac's wife. Now remember the Bible said, God said this. God said that Abraham was very rich. Silver, coal, gold, and in livestock. So he leaves everything to Isaac. She marries into one of the wealthiest families 
in the, on earth and becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus because she becomes Jesus' great, 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 grandmother, right? So our typical thought when it comes to work is this. I want the maximum reward for the minimum effort. I'm going to do as little as possible to receive as much as possible. I'm going to see how little I can get by with. But Rebecca had the exact opposite attitude. In fact, this is sometimes referred to as the Rebecca principle, right? Or the biblical or even the Protestant work ethic. And it's called the Protestant work ethic because Martin Luther preached this so much. This is what Martin Luther preached. He said, the pastor who preaches a sermon and the milkmaid who milks the cow both serve God equally. You see, there has been a concept that there's spiritual work and there's secular work. But that is not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is whether you're preaching a sermon or milking a cow or changing a diaper or washing dishes, every job is a spiritual job and every job is done for the Lord. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Obey in all things... Your bosses according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men. So whatever you do, whether you're doing the dishes, changing the diapers, running a machine, working at a computer, you do it as unto the Lord. Because there's not spiritual and secular work. There is just work that we do for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve or you work for the, Lord's Christ, the Lord Christ. In other words, no matter where you were, you're not working for General Motors or Steel Case or the school system. The Bible says when you work, you work for the Lord. And how many know when we're working for him, we ought to do it with excellence? We ought to do it the best that we possibly can. And literally, the greatest tool of evangelism, the greatest tool ought to be when we go to work. Right? Because we do our job with excellence. Right? We get there early. We've got the right attitude. We're all in. We do what's expected and then some. All right? Not because the boss is watching. Well, the real boss is Jesus, but because he's watching, we're working for him. When the boss is hiring, he ought to be going, hey, do you have any more people like you out there, Christians, you know, like work like you? Because if you do, bring them. I want them. I want them. Now, that, that would be a great testimony, right? Extra blessing follows extra effort, going beyond what's required, beyond what is expected. Five quick thoughts. Number one, don't despise small things. Don't despise the small things. What she did was not a huge thing. It was a small thing. In fact, Jesus said this, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. But if you're unfaithful in least or in small things, you'll be unfaithful in large things. Uh, last night here in the service, we had Carlos here. Carlos, he and his wife attend here. Carlos is one of the top 10 tenors in the world. Right? Carlos began when his church needed somebody to help with music, and he said, I'll help. It was a small thing, small thing. But he just kept on doing small things. He got noticed, got trained, got promoted. And today, again, one of the top 10. 
Large doors swing on small hinges. Little things are important. It's very interesting to me that David had one of his soldiers who was guarding a plot of ground with lentils in it, less than an acre, and everybody ran and he stayed. He took that responsibility of something small to heart. The next day, he's promoted to general. Because he was faithful in something small, he was promoted to something large. Number two, don't wait for big moments. Don't wait for big things. Be faithful in the small and the mundane. Right? Start right where you are and let God promote you. Because the Bible says promotion is not from the east, the west, or from the south. But promotion is from, it's from the Lord. Number three, help people. Rebecca didn't preach a message. She didn't quote a verse. She didn't even tell of her spiritual qualities or pray for him. What she did was she saw a need that somebody had and she met that need. She helped people. That's number three. Number four, do your best and then some. Do what's expected and then some. Go, you can't go the second mile until after you went the first mile. Be trustworthy when no person is looking because you do not work for people. You work for Jesus. That's your, that's your boss. And number five, when a door opens, walk through it. That night, Eliezer went to her family and said, this is what happened. I prayed that God would send the right person. Rebecca came. And what do you, how are you going to respond? And they said, what can we say? This is the Lord. The next morning, he left with Rebecca to take her to become Isaac's wife and vaulted her into her future. He said, when God opens the door, walk right through it. Right? Don't back down. Don't be intimidated. Don't delay. Don't be embarrassed. Don't say, I'm not good enough. Don't say, find somebody else. When God opens the door, walk through it. And when God opens the door and you walk through it, God walks through the door with you and God will put you over. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You're here. You're not where you should be with God. You're not right with God. You're away from the Lord. You served him at one time, but you've drifted away. Or in your heart, you know, I'm not right with God, and I want to get right. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? What's going to happen is we're going to pray together, and God's going to meet you in this place. And you're going to leave this place today right with God, forgiven on your way to heaven. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're doing is saying this to God. God, I understand that I'm a sinner and need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. One. Secondly, as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I understand that the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm not going to give him one more day of my life. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life that he has for me. Two. And I want you to get ready to lift your hand. Get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today I'm receiving Jesus by faith. He is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. Make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. Over here to my left. Thank you. God bless you. 
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Listen high, please. I can see it. Thank you in the back there. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Over here to my right. Everybody, would you please stand? Nobody moving unless it's necessary. Absolutely necessary. This is kingdom business. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. If you're in the balcony, this is for you. I want you to grab the person you came with, whatever you brought, and move to the aisle nearest you and come right down here. God is going to meet us right here. God, we're going to pray. And when we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, make your way down. We're going to wait for you. We're going to pray. God is going to meet you right here. Give them a hand as they're coming. Awesome. God bless you. Right over here. Here, back there. Over here to my left. Back over here. Up from the balcony. Come on down. We are excited. The Bible says when one person repents, that the angels in heaven, that they rejoice, that they have a party. And we are seeing people get right with God today. Kingdom business, most important thing that anyone could ever do. Awesome. God bless you. God bless. All right, coming down from the balcony. Thank you, guys. Make your way down. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever is going to work for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. This is going to work for every one of us. The devil says you've done too much. He's a liar. He's a liar. But when we pray this prayer, we say amen. You're going to be forgiven. This is what the Bible says. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And this is God's promise to you. We'll be saved. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Your past is going to be gone. You're going to be a child of God. All right. Everybody take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you, you've heard my prayer. That my past, it's gone. That I'm a part of your family. That you make me a new person on the inside. On my way to heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome! Awesome! Hey, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And because this is so important, Pat, come on over here. We want to get your name. We want to pray with you. We want to give you some information that's going to help you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.